the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up on 11 a.m., good morning, everyone, on a Saturday, the 26th of November, 2022. Good old 710 KNUS in the weather. Well, 41, not as cold. 41 to high, 20 degrees tonight, 47 on Sunday and Monday, 53 degrees. Knowing I'm using the voices of Slick Rick Flair and Bret Hart, uh, this is one of my favorite people, and we have renewed a great friendship recently. His name is Steve Harms, and I think everybody in Denver back in the day remembers Steve was a sportscaster on Channel 7, did talk radio. In fact, last week when we had Joe Williams on, we were trying to put together Joe and Steve together, and Steve was too busy. And then, of course, it comes down that Mike Nolan, who passed away after a very brief illness, was working at Channel 9 in the 70s, and he stayed, I think, until the 90s, and he and Steve were really, really close friends. Steve, thanks for taking time out and doing the show, man. Welcome home. Oh, thank you, Pete. It's great to be here, and it's uh, you're right about renewing the friendship. is is uh, It's very important to me, and I'm, I'm glad we're on the right road. But his passing was not totally unexpected. Uh, he had been ill for quite some time and uh, was kind of going downhill, and and so obviously it's it's a kind of a shock whenever you lose somebody in your life like that. But, but he, uh, went peacefully and, uh, I'm, I'm just glad I knew him for all of those years. Yeah, he was, um, I had, when I got the call and it was before it broke as a newscast and I, I sent a text to Joe Williams and to, you know, all the crew and Joe called me and he, Joe called me and Joe and I talked about him and, um, it began, I think, when when we lost Irv, and there, 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 as they always say, there was a time, and I think you and I agreed, it was a very golden. It was a golden time. You were on seven, uh, Mike was on nine, Zapola was on four. Um, talk about that time period because it was way before you know cable hits and the teams yeah. in Denver. You know, yeah, yeah, Pete went. I came to Denver in, I think it was 82. And at that time, excuse me, at that time, Ron and Mike were kings of the hill. I mean, they were the top dogs, at least in terms of TV. And and, uh, I came in my very first assignment when I started at Channel 7 was Greeley for Broncos training <laughs> and I go up there not knowing one person, nothing. And, uh, I struggled through the day and we got it done. And that night, uh, somebody had told me about a, a bar that a lot of the guys went to. And <laughs> so I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll go over there. And I was there and I was sitting at the bar and basically being kind of ignored because when you're the new guy in a business like that, they're all waiting to check you out, you know, and, and out of the blue, this 
Ted Kennedy lookalike yeah, he it, was. Yeah. came walking up and sat down next to me at the bar. He introduced himself and he said, I know how hard it is to be the new guy and I'll do anything I can to help you out. Yeah. And that's when it started. I mean, it wasn't like we saw each other every day after that, but, but that bit of kindness from Mike uh, to somebody he had no, you weren't beholden at all to, uh, to help me out. But, but he, he did. And we just became very good friends and, you know, and, and Ron Zappolo is part of that crew too. You know, the guys that all ended up going on road trips together and you get to know them, even though they're a competitor, you get to know these guys and, and you know you're not you're going to work to beat them on stories and that kind of thing, but you're probably going to have dinner with them that night. Yeah, you know? yeah not all true. Yeah, yeah, and and I think in the early '80s until I don't even know what point in the '80s, I think not just for TV but for general media, uh, that was. You know, the newspaper wars in those days and uh, the, the uh, TV competition and you were riding strong and mm-hmm. taking, you were on KOA when I yeah. came and yeah. you and, and Alan were, you know, the kings of that place. And just the, the whole media uh, department of that of the world was was just as intense and as good as it can be because as you know the competition makes you better unless you cave in and so it was a very wonderful time to be in denver and then you know i look back and certainly you know there's woody and buddy martin and dick connor and all the guys that were in the print side and and uh i i don't want to i don't want to continue without mentioning gary cruz in that another one know. yeah gary's now gone yeah we lost gary yeah yeah and um gary and mike were channel nine ron was at four and i was at seven and and uh we you know we, we generally had a good time and uh oh. we we didn't feel i don't think the competitive intensity amongst each other uh, as much as I know the newspaper <laughs> people were just, you know, they're up at four in the morning opening up the morning paper to see what stories they had that they, the competition missed. And, and it was, a, it was a, a, like you say, a golden era. And, and, uh, I think the change in all of the business, the media business, whether it's print or electronic, has made it so that those kind of situations just don't exist anymore. And, you know, I mean, I I just, I live over here near Salt Lake City now, and I never, I haven't turned on the local news in six months. I you know, I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't have any interest in it. And usually, the local news have the least coverage. 
because they can't compete with CNN and Fox. They can't compete with the cable networks. And so I was very happy to be there at, at that time uh, in in Denver. It was mm-hmm. it was. Always, Very good. Our guest is Steve Harms. We're talking about Mike Nolan, longtime Channel 9 sportscasters. We lost him on Friday. He was 85 years of age. I always take that uh, part of the Goodfellows when they're in the bar, his name and everybody going around the bar. He said, it was a, glo- a glorious time before Crazy Joe tried to kill a boss. And he goes, there was yeah. me, you know, you know, Pete the Killer, and, you know, and he names everybody. And I think that that probably could have been done in Denver, race scenes or the mind or a couple of different places. And there would be, there's Mike Nolan, there's Steve Harms, there's, you know, you could go around, you know, and uh, and that, I, I agree with you about, especially about radio. I mean, it was, you know, you competed against guys, but like Hal and Charlie or all kinds of different guys, they were your friends. And yeah. you know, they, 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 there was never a, a hoot. Today, I don't know what goes on because I don't spend that much time around anybody. But back yeah. then, it was almost like you wanted to go to work because you wanted to see what was going on, not about a news story or about something that somebody was going to do, but, but just to see your friends. And, yeah. you know, and A.B. was alive then, and, you know, Gus Mercus was doing mornings, and it was just a, 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 I'll say this, it was a better time, or maybe because we were younger, but it was a better time. But I I'll, think both. Yeah, I think you're right. It, that us being younger, we were more of a sponge, you know, than oh. we are as we got older. Because you get kind of jaded, and and of course, the, you know, the whole media business changed so drastically that I, I wouldn't really want to work in it anymore. I mean, oh. I guess, I guess, you know, I I've talked to. And I hesitate to mention his name, but I, I spoke uh, recently a number of times with Sandy Clough. Oh, sure, he did the radio and, show with us a couple of times. Yeah. Oh, I know. And he, I, here, I, I told him I watched the YouTube deal that yeah. you guys did. Yeah. And it was very good, other than the fact that my name was mentioned. <laughs> also briefly just one time and you made the kid you made the kid fantastic. yeah you made the kid hey and i told sandy i said i told him i was going on with you today and i said i refuse to even hint at your name the way you treated me and <laughs> of course sandy and i worked for a number of years in talk radio and and i just i love the guy Oh. And he's he's uh, truly just, great. And he was a you know. And we we had Joe on last week. We're talking about the genesis of Irv Brown, and mm-hmm. you you guys, you the radio guys were all pretty much Irv's Irv's children or the sons of sons of Irv Brown. Certainly Dave Logan. Right. Uh, Woody was doing talk radio before Irv, but when Irv had that centrifuge of power and. And and he brought the hitman in. He brought everybody in. So it was that uh, the senior would have been Nolan, I think. And I think he was here before Ron. I'm, I met Ron. We were working at KOA, and they were and we yeah. were there across the hall. And you know he'd come in, wander in. He and Alan were real close because for a number of reasons they were both the best dressers I've ever, I've ever seen in my life, and they held that. <laughs> and um, and then you came, 
And I don't, I know, I just remember that you were there and you fit in and the beat goes on. And Gary Cruz too. I'm as good. I'm glad you said Gary's yeah. name, but there were, there were guys. I mean, and it was a, it was a time and you're right. And I mean, and they had good radio, they had good Nielsen numbers. And I think they were doing well. And he was, he was a legend. I mean, he, Mike Nolan, you can say this modestly. Women liked Mike Nolan. Is that an easy thing to say? Well, yeah. one of the great stories, maybe maybe you've heard this, but one of the great stories about Mike was we were driving. He lived over off of Monaco, uh, and he used to have this big white Cadillac convertible, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the big Barretts, he would call yeah. them. We were driving down Monaco, and I think we stopped at a light at, at Quebec. If I, I don't remember exactly, but somebody pulled. He had the top down, his big cigar, and I'm sitting there like <laughs> a dummy next to him. And, and somebody pulled up and and saw him and said, "Hey, Mike News, Mike Nolan, Nine News." And Mike is it? I mean, he was always a PR guy. And, Hey, how are you? Nice to see you, all that. And we pulled away, and we're not we're not even through the light. And he turns to me and he said, "They love me in this town." <laughs> <laughs> and it's an absolutely true story. Oh yeah, absolutely. But and and we used to go places like we'd be at the mine company, and we'd be sitting there, and he would stand up and he'd say, I'm going to go to the restroom, see if anybody recognizes me. (laughs) I mean, he's being facetious, but at the same time, he would like to know. That's that's, that's the story they... Go ahead, Pete. I was going to say, that's the story they told about Elvis, that he could not be unrecognized, and in the end, he stands up and puts a towel over over his arm and goes around... Like he's a waiter waiting tables, and he's got a cop uniform on, and everybody goes, "That's Elvis! It's Elvis!" He almost could not be in the center of attention for you know for yeah. ten minutes. And uh, I've, I've heard that story that was true. because Buck and Cindy would, would the, the owners of Mine Company. Uh, there was a, if you think there was a corner in the back yeah. that was kind of out of sight, but but there was a table back in there. And that's where they would put him to try to make sure, you know, he was had his privacy. Huh. And, but the, the same story that you told, and it's probably related, huh. was that after a while, he couldn't stand couldn't take it. being, yeah, yeah and got up and yeah. walked around. And, yeah, that's a famous story, and it's true. It's a true story. I, um, so, as you, I, you may or not know this, but um, Division Chief Kennedy passed, and I went to the funeral, yeah. and I'm sitting behind... Actually, I'm sitting in front of Mike, uh, Mike O'Neill, one of the great all-time cops, and they said that there's a pew missing down there. And I said that was the pew that Elvis had sat in when he sang for uh, when Jerry's brother passed. And I said, well, where's the pew? <laughs> he said, it's in Kennedy's home. He took it home. <laughs> it's like, so, you know, that, that, I, I, I made a note to myself. Steve Harms is here, and I'm sure you know and Steve worked in pro wrestling, and he worked for the Von Erichs. Have you seen this stuff? Now they're making the movie Iron Claw. They're making, it's a major motion picture about the Von Erichs. Have you, have you seen any I've of that? Heard, I've heard about it. I, yeah. I've heard 
heard about it, and I still stay in touch sporadically with Kevin. Well, he's the only one left. The only one left. Yeah, I, I stay in touch with him. He lives in Hawaii yep. and has all kinds of money after his dad passed away and his mom passed away. And he, you know, but he lives like right on the water. And I'm not even sure what island it is. I've, I've seen place. a documentary where he's on, yeah, he has a, a beautiful home on one of the smaller islands yeah. or something. Do, do us, take us a favor. How did you end up working for Fritz? Well, <clears throat> I, I'll try to make this short because it's, I was working um, at a TV station in Dallas, the NBC affiliate, and I was the weekend guy. So I was working Friday and Saturday. I was off Monday and Tuesday, and then I back to work Thursday and Friday. So I was working, you know, I mean, it was a typical weekend anchor schedule. So one day, I'm, a guy came to the station to plug the the wrestling, which was the Von Erichs at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, when you, when you go back, tell Gary Hart, who was a well-known bad guy manager mm-hmm. at the time, but he was the number two guy to Fritz. And I said, tell him that Steve Harms just said hello. And because I had met Gary a number of times prior to that, because I had actually worked for the Funks in yep. Amarillo. <laughs> and they, and so I'd met Gary through them. Do you remember, and, you remember taking me to meet Terry Funk? We were, I was working the ring when they were in McNichols and my son was with me and you were there and you introduced me to who I just I, I love Terry Funk, but I never met him because of you. And from the yeah. du- you said from the Double Cross Ranch, the Terry oh, Funk. Terry, Terry, Terry Funk. Was, oh. I mean, he's still with us, and he's. Oh, yeah. well, I don't. He doesn't work anymore, but he he probably could. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. He was. Uh, he was. Oh. And, he, and he was. He was nuts too. He oh, was, absolutely. Was oh, absolutely. Crazy. Yeah. And. Uh, but anyways, I, I Gary called me, and one thing led to another, and I went out to the uh, Sportatorium, which was the <laughs> arena in oh. Dallas on Industrial Boulevard. <laughs> no, that's the that's the twenty four liquor stores. <laughs> so I went down there, and I went in, and I met Fritz. And Stevie, let me do this. Let me let me sell something and come back because okay. I want. You, let me put him on hold, will you? Um, there he goes. He's on hold. Steve Harms, who worked for the Von Erichs, and there's a film coming now called The Iron Claw: The Life and Times of the Von Erichs. And he also, like I said, he worked. I, this is Steve Harms' story. I'm working um, to do doing the ring, the WWF, and uh, and he said to come on. And it was you know brother Dory. Dory wasn't there, but Terry was there, and Steve knew him. And um, it's like the one and only. Our friends, and he is the man, Danny Kaplis, Kaplis Law, believed to be the only lawyer in Colorado history to win five straight multi-million dollar jury verdicts in motor vehicle crashes. I tell you what, um, we had a 
family experience, and Danny was the lawyer, and pff, highly successful firm, great lineup, six former deputy DAs who now use their tremendous courtroom experience to help survivors of serious crashes. Danny's law firm believes that talk is cheap and experience counts and results matter. The firm would be happy to share with you its track record of outstanding jury verdicts and out-of-court settlements. Dan Kaplis believes there's, again, who you hire speaks volumes. They suggest you choose a law firm that shares your values, and I suggest you make a phone call and talk to them, 303-907-5003. You're not going to get a bum steer. 303-907-5003-907-5003. Ask your question, and you'll get the answer. And if you have to sit down and talk with them, do so. Faith, integrity, hard work, dedication. He is a man. He's one of my favorites. Danny Kaplis, 303-907-5003. On the Internet, it's Kaplis Law, C-A-P-L-I-S Law dot com. 23 after the hour of 11, 11, 23, Saturday, 41 will be the high. 47 on Sunday, 53 on Monday, 710 KNUS. I'm Peter Boyles on the air everywhere. We have Steve Harms with us. We're talking about a number of different things, including the pending film Iron Claw about the Von Erichs. And Stevie's telling a story worked for Fritz. Cowboy Moving and Storage, the recommended mover. Go to cowboy.com and click on customer reviews. There's 1,300 reviews. They're very positive. Google rating of 4.9. It's really a great customer review. It's their web. Here's the deal. So you're going to move. Maybe grandma has to move. Maybe you're moving into a new building, a new home. And they have this really, I like this. It's called load and hold. Cowboy Moving can do a load and hold for you. Basically, if you're moving into a new office or a residence, but you got to leave your current location before the new place is available, then this is for you. The load and hold. They come with these great trailers. It's warm. It's dry. They store them exactly like that, warm and dry. And when it's ready to move in, they, here comes the trailer. They work well. Short, long-term storage. What makes Cowboy the best is the folks who do the job. There are guys from moves to loads to hold the storage, and one of the things they will do is give you an estimate on anything. You know, move a piano, like move a refrigerator, move the whole house, move this, move that, move us here, move something back, whatever it is. And they are good, kind, really hard workers. I work with them. They're running you in the ground. 303 789 303-789-2200, and a portion of everything they do, they give money to Freedom Service Dogs since 1968. They're the guys. Freedom, again, you talk to the Cowboy Moving and Storage, the Freedom Service Dogs, 303-789-2200, 789-2200 today. In Salt Lake is the one and only Steve Harms. We're talking about the loss of former Channel 9 sportscaster Mike Nolan. And I made a note of this because there's so much attention being given to it. And it's going to be a major motion picture entitled Iron Claw. And I was really pleased they were going to do it on the Von Erichs. And Steve is up to the point where he meets Fritz Von Erich. He had worked for the Funks. And I actually saw Steve ref a couple of professional wrestling matches. He knows about a lot about pro wrestling. So you get in and you meet, you meet Fritz in the Sportatorium. The stories that I heard about the Sportatorium if half of them are true, if half of those stories are true, that must have been a vi- that must have been a vision. It was a fantastic arena for wrestling, but other than that, it was an absolute dump yep. with with you know, rats, and I don't mean ring rats, but real rats running around. And somebody told me they didn't change the the fat for the French fries in the fryers. Didn't change it for like. Six years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I heard great it, stories. Yeah. 
Oh, but it was such a, it was a great venue to watch wrestling because it, it all sloped down into the center to the ring. And it was, it was something. It was, it was a, a place that could have a lot of fan uh, interruptions. I mean, they, they were so close that when things could go crazy, it was, it was not unusual to have wrestlers having to defend themselves against yeah. these knuckleheads, you know, that took everything as real. And, uh, but I think just, just to smarten up a little bit, people that don't know, <laughs> the Von Erichs were a family led by Fritz, the father, and he had five sons. One of them passed away in an accident when he was about 10 years old. He was electrocuted. And then the four remaining were all wrestlers, Dave Von Erich, Kevin, the one we're talking about, Mike, and Chris. Oh, Carrie. Carrie. The, the one I met was Carrie. Yeah, Carrie, Carrie was the... I mean, he, he if he had not gotten involved with drugs i mean he was an absolute star he was a beautiful guy i mean he just looked good but but the the second oldest was dave david von eric and he was probably the best wrestler of, of all of the brothers but he passed away under mysterious circumstances mm. in Japan. I was in Japan, yeah. And I've never really gotten a definitive answer as to what happened, but he died, and that was very tragic. Well, then Carrie, who was, he had been in a motorcycle accident, Lost his, and, he lost his leg or the bottom part of his leg. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he was, it was below his knee, but still. And he was able, he still worked. He still wrestled. But, you know, it was obvious that he wasn't the flyer that he was prior to the accident. And he ended up uh, taking his own life. Yeah. And then there was... Uh, Mike, who was the second youngest, never wanted to be a wrestler, but kind of pressured into it. And he took his own life. And then Chris, the youngest, he had some kind of medical problem that kind of stunted his growth. And so he, he never was able to be like his brothers. He idolized his brothers, but he wasn't able to get big enough. He uh, took his own life. And I, this happened mostly. I had moved to Denver when most of this happened, and I was just, I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe what happened. And I, I called and uh, talked to the boy's mother, Fritz's wife, Doris, 
and she was very religious. And she said, well, Steve, they're in a better place. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening to this thinking, no, they're not. Yeah, no, you know, I agree. A better place is with their family and sure, friends. That's, sure. that's not a better place. But anyway, that's why they're doing this movie. And the only surviving son is Kevin. And and he's he's a great guy. And and he you know, I, I guess he's a consultant on the movie. Mm-hmm. So I you know, I I Steve Harms is here and I once sat and talked for somebody else you knows, Michael P. S. Hayes. And uh, yeah. they were the, they were called the Freebirds. It was by Buddy right. Roberts, uh Terry Bam Bam Gordy and uh and Michael P.S. Hayes. And when I said, what are the highlights? And he said, well, there's no question. And I said, what? And he said, sportatorium, feud with, uh, the, the feuds with, with, with Von Erichs. And he said, we, and, and that whole collective, we made money. And it wasn't, Rick Flair was the first guy to tell me about, he was talking about Ricky Steamboat. And he said, me and Ricky, he did, we made money. He never talked about him making money. He said we made money. He he made yeah. mo- he made money, and you know this business a lot better than I ever will. But um, but Michael Hayes and I asked him about Fritz, and he said Fritz was business. Does that hold up? Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, he, I got I got to know him pretty well to the point where I went to dinner, probably five or six times out to their ranch in, hmm. in uh, Lake, Lake Dallas, which was north of Fort Worth. And uh, I, I'd go to dinner out there, and they had a beautiful home, and it, it was, you know, just, just like being with family. And the boys were there, and they were running around and being boys, and, and it was it was just unbelievable how normal that part of their life seemed to be and but Fritz was always looking two steps down the road you know he always was mm-hmm. looking to the future and uh he was he was a very unique guy um for some reason he really took to me he liked me a lot, and Kevin once told me that Fritz looked at me as kind of the guy that his first son that died. He was mm, that, that Jack was his name, and that's that, Fritz. That's it, Fritz's I, real name, isn't it? Fritz's real name was Jack, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack, Jack Atkinson mm-hmm. is, is the family name, and. And that that was one of the reasons Kevin thought that Fritz took such a liking to me. I would have been about the same age, and just I was just a guy, you know. But I wasn't in wrestling. I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't a wrestler. And uh, so we got to be pretty close. And Doris, his wife, was. Uh, gosh, she was. Just, I was married at the time to a wonderful young woman 
who, like most women, figured me out. Yeah, haven't we all? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But but she got to be really tight with Fritz and Doris, to where she would go have lunch with them at this this truck stop off of I thirty five. The stories are amazing about about all of that. And and I just they were very they were outwardly very religious but i used to think this is this is kind of a work like the mm-hmm. wrestling yeah, work, yeah. and i mean i i'm not somebody who questions somebody's faith but i just didn't buy into it as as a mm-hmm. lifestyle for them but anyway i i had great Times great memories with with them, and I'm still. I said I mentioned I was in touch with uh, Kevin sporadically, and um, it's a it's a great it's a great sad story. Um, yeah, and the people like yourself and other people that I've met in the business that worked there or were part of it or something. They all everybody was kind of stunned by it and was mystified by it. But uh, as I told you, I, I spent a couple hours talking to Michael Hayes, and he said there was nothing like it. And he said, um, he said Friday nights in in Texas are high school football. He said we turned them away at the door, young girls and boys and older people. And yeah. he said they just made tonnage. They really made a a lot of money, and nobody could see what was coming. And there, you know, I don't know. And why they all well, t- took their lives was just, I wonder why, I mean, the film, the film's really getting a lot of acclaim right now, and they're shooting it. So I, I really can't wait to see it. Yeah, I'd be interested to see it, too, because I have definitely things I can compare it to, you know. No, no, I, yeah, we'll talk after it comes out. But the movie, yeah, the movie they but, made called The Wrestler, that was really, they, you know, they called him Randy the Ram. That was Jake the Snake. That's who that was. And they're not yeah. you know, they're knocking Jake's like off life off. Um, real quick question, and, and of all of those people that you worked with, who was the? You can put it out on the edge. Who 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 was the? Who was who who was the true maniac in a in a group full of maniacs? Well, Terry Punk would be my yeah. first yeah. choice, but in another way, Rick Flair. <sighs> Rick. Rick Flair could work when you're the champion, the way that business worked, the champion was all over the place. You know, he was you got to travel. Dallas one day, Omaha the next. And usually because the champion isn't gonna lose, but they wanna put over the local good guy. And so the way you do that is the local good guy beats the crap out of the <laughs> Until the first. end, yeah. Yeah, and then they they end up with a, a draw, yeah. and but that's usually an hour. So Rick would work an hour. A Broadway, and, the Broadway, yeah, yeah, Broadway, yeah. yeah. And and he would go out afterwards and drink. And he loved kamikazes, <sighs> and he'd order trays full of them for everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was just absolutely he was crazy they 
they tried to rein him in at one time and they took one of the referees and said, you're traveling with him. And, you know, <laughs> rooming with him and all that. And this guy, Dave Hebner, was the guy. Oh, he sure, said, sure. He said, after like a month and a half, he went to Vince and said, Vince, I can't do He's this. He's going to kill me. I can't. <laughs> He's going to kill I me. I can't keep up with him. No. Oh. Flair, Flair was just oh. a party maniac and... And and his drinking, you know, and I don't know that he was ever officially diagnosed as alcoholic. Look at him; he's like, hey, I did a, I did a show with him once, and I, you're just taken in by him. You get captured by him. There's no getting oh, around yeah. him. He's he's who he was. Um, my my favorite, like we're telling stories, was it was Mr. Saito and uh, the big bodybuilder, and they threw the rock through the window. Uh, at the McDonald's, trying to get the McDonald's, and I've heard 25 versions of it. And Heenan, yeah. tell, Heenan tells me a story. He says, so the, the the rock was pretty heavy. I guess it was a big boulder, and they put it through the window. And they said, we didn't do it. And the judge said, um, there, wasn't a, there wasn't a man in 150 miles of that circle who could have lifted that rock up besides you two. Yeah. <laughs> and he went to jail. He, he went to jail, and Saito went back to Japan. And But they were like, it was a better time. And again, back to talking about Mike, it was a better time. It was a fun time. It was a fun time. And, and that story that you just told, you can tell any version of it. Oh, yeah. Somebody's going to believe it. Oh, you know, sure. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've heard what generally is the, you know, the true mm-hmm. version of it. And it's outrageous. Oh, I mean, it, they fought him. They they came out yeah. and I guess Saito standing there doesn't understand English and they start spraying him in the face <laughs> and, yeah. and he and he just start beating people up and he'd think just are you stupid enough to go in that room and try and fight Saito and um, oh. and uh, that, they were legitimately tough guys oh they were uh, well, they were uh, oh I tell I'm you to think of the, go ahead no you say. I was trying to think of the name of the guy, the muscle guy that was part of it. I mean, he was a legitimately tough guy too, and and I just I, just, I can picture him. I've talked to him many times. Um, yeah, Ken Ken, Ken Patera was Ken Patera. Ken Patera. Yeah, it was Ken Patera who's told who told me one version of the story, and then Heenan said there's another version, and then, um, but they were there. They were in like he went to get McDonald's. And uh, the McDonald's was closed, but they had all these burgers. And he said, you know, I want you to just give me the burgers. I'll buy the burgers. And they said, no, we have to throw them out. He said, no, just give me the burgers. And so, I mean, there's all these versions. And anyhow, so this big boulder ends up coming through the window. And Saito wasn't yeah. even part of it. It was Patera did it on his own. And, and I mean, this is it's a story as Hina told me. And then the cops find out they're staying in this hotel and they go back and, uh, Saito opens the door in his underwear, and it's on. <laughs> it's like, you yeah. want to, to fight? For, get out of here. And then Patera got in the fight, and they both went to jail. That's pretty much the, yeah, it's the story. version yeah. I've heard uh, yeah. from somebody that I would trust to yeah. telling me basically the whole That's what story. Bobby told me that story. i tell you what. I love you. I'm coming up on time. Uh, well, we got a holiday show coming with a bunch of stuff we need to do, and we need to do a shoot together. And maybe I could put Steve and put you guys and um, 
and get Joe Williams and get you know the the, the do the same thing and and have Sandy here and just sit back and listen. I love well, you, Stevie. Sandy, if, I'll call if Sandy's you. there. I'm I'm not going to be. You're not showing up. <laughs> no show. Yeah. Thanks, you too, Pete. Thanks, boss. Bye. Uh, Steve Harms and talking about Mike Nolan, but in the meantime, he had worked pro wrestling, and you got to get those stories in. All right, it's ski season, and the ski resorts are open, and it's snowing in the mountains, and it's time. <laughs> and wrestling, it's time. It's time to make sure you have all your gear and you're ready to get out there and have some fun. Take it from me, if you need any ski or snowboard gear, go to Larson Ski and Sport. The guys will take the time to get to know you and your family, match you up with all the right brands. You can really enjoy your time on the hill. If you're a renter, and please, with uh, testing out equipment, or especially with kids, and always rent because it's not going to be good enough for next year. It'll be too big, rather too small. You need bigger ones for next year. Snowboarding, whatever it is, bring your skis back and hand you a board if you want to make a swap. Whatever you need, they will make it work. John Marriott, Paul, the people that work at Larson's. I mentioned Alan Samuel saw his girlfriend getting new boots, and it was like, I, I went to school, and I kind of, you know, I'm a kind of a ski geek guy. And I went, man, wow, I didn't know that. Larson's is so convenient. So when you, it doesn't go into the big box store, okay, slam bang, and you're out of here. They really do take their time. You can stop on the way up your hill or up the hill or stop on your way home. The night before is always a smooth move. The big wooden building south of I-70 on Kipling, uh, John Marriott and the guys at Larson's, absolute experts in everything you need for winter sports. Stop in today. Tell them I sent you. So you get off I-70 Westbound, get off, come down the ramp on the Kipling exit, make a left, go underneath I-70, under the tunnel, pop out the other side, look to your right, look to the west, see the Crab Shack. Next to the Crab Shack, Larson Ski and Sport, seven days a week. The web is L-A-R-S-O-N, Larson Sport, south of I-70 on Kipling. Please, they have everything and anything, and it's all your turn. Larson Ski and Sport. The Whalers. Morning, everybody. 1147, 13 before the hour back here. Next week, 9 a.m., do it again on the weekends. And again, longtime news sportscaster Mike Nolan is gone at 85. And thank you to Steve Harms. That was just so well done. The new column is up in the Cherry Creek Chronicle, as well as our pages here, 710 KNUS, on the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church. And to Robert Spencer, thank you, and always to Frank DeAngelis. Holidays are here, and the best way to change your waist, side and waist size and get back into shape is begin Calling our friends at Cenogenics, they you may be tempted to delay making healthy choices because oh, I won't make for a New Year's resolution. Well, you know you don't keep those. Start now. Encourage you to think differently. The team at Cenogenics approaches healthcare, disease prevention, and aging from a research-based methodology. So whether you want to lose weight, sleep better, increase your libido, boost your immunes, the flu season, Cenogenics, Dr. McAllen is a true healer. We create a program designed specifically for you, help you focus, become stronger, and feel in control of your life again. No fads and no gimmicks. You take control of your life, take control of your health. She's mine, man. I just went, I went through some bad stuff, and there was always Dr. McAllen. So don't suffer from low energy or lack of focus, unintentional weight gain, poor sleep, low libido. One more time. Michelle answers the phone when you call 720-387-3681. 7203873681. Don't wait. Just go in and see them, you know, make up your mind after you get a first round. 7203873681723873681. The website is denver.cenogenics.com c e n e g e n i c s. Um we're coming up on our time. You can try and sneak in 303-696-1971. 
uh, we began the show talking about the, the World Cup and they're banning uh, booze in the World Cup when I, we had Robert Spencer on from Jihad Watch talking about it. It's amazing to sell a beer with alcohol at their, there's, um, at eight World Cup stadiums. And what I thought was really interesting is how did they not know? And I, I'm going to give bounce off of Billy Thorpe maybe earlier next week and ask him, but you're in Qatar or Qatar, and apparently Budweiser makes a big deal on this, and then they find out, I don't know, maybe they're afraid of the, the British fans, the English fans, but then I read, the show prep, I read that champagne and wine and whiskey and other alcohol is, is still will be served in the luxury hospitality areas of the stadium. But the a fan group, um, and there's a British group called the Football Supporters Association. And you see those guys dressed up like Crusader Knights? Did you see them? They, they, had, uh, they had Crusader patches like up on the corner. They show up. And, I, I mean, I don't know how all of this works, but the uh, Qatar government and its Supreme Committee for Delivery and Leniency did not immediately respond to request for comment because people wanted to drink. I will take one more as we round third. Uh, Dino, you're on the radio show. My boy, good morning. Hey. Happy Saturday. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, all that stuff to you, Peter. Uh, it was great there, Harms. I hope he's doing okay. Oh, yeah, he's doing voices. Well. He's doing Always well. Yeah. He's you still, you, I missed the first half hour. It was the last part. I'll get that if you have it on a podcast. But one to say, since you're talking about the World Cup, also, they've banned, if you're a couple, if you're a, you have to show you're a married couple or else they won't let you stay in the same yeah. room together. Well, they've banned and, all the yeah. yeah, well, but <laughs> see, the thing that's amazing. It's, it's Islamic culture. That's the culture. Yeah, they, they do that going in. They act so surprised now. But why? Tell me this, Dean. Yeah. Why? I mean, you know, I'm thinking of a boardroom somewhere and the chairman of the board looking at some executive vice president saying, what, what, you, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't know this? Well, they got bribed. He was just because all those stories on it and all that. They got bribed to have that site selected 12 years ago. They probably thought something would happen, uh, change the philosophy or change any culture in 12 years. That wasn't going to happen because they were awarded the uh, cup in 2010. Billy stuff. Billy it's, Thorpe has pr- probably he said it's a it's a very very corrupt organization. Well, it always was. Yeah, I talked I I followed through in the past. I talked to Bill when he was your producer. I talked to him a lot about it. Okay. Yeah, it always is. They just they go to the high they go to the highest bidder. Yeah. <laughs> basically, and, 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 and they don't seem to care. They just okay. And now they find themselves in a trap, a different time. Yeah, it lasts, it, yeah the bad part. Yeah, sure. The tournament lasts a month. So they're out, they're, out of a lot of, they're out of a lot of sales, a lot of money, yeah. I agree. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm glad they're doing good. Sounds good. I just want the month. Yeah. I'll uh, get a whole other times. But uh, dude, by any chance, are you going to have a podcast up from your yeah. show to three yeah, there's hours? A pod, there's a podcast, okay, and then uh, we're doing a YouTube show, and uh, there's a new column up that I'm catching a little heat for that I really like. That's uh, You can go to it's a Cherry Creek, it's a Chronicle, but on uh, oh, yeah. the Catholic Church, hypocrisy of the church, and... And it hits it a We're really... together sometime. We're going to do lunch. I'll, yeah. I'll hook up with you at lunch. I'll get on here sometime. Hi, Bubba. You're beyond the, you're beyond the stud stall. Hang in there. <laughs> and good health. You too. Thank you. you. All right. 303-696-1971. We're almost out of time. Um, as I said, next week, we'll see where it goes. But missing Mike Nolan and having Steve with us, it was a golden time. I always think of that, that moment in Goodfellas. 
where he said, you know, before, you know, Crazy Joe tried to whack a boss, and he goes around to bar, and he introduces everybody to Nicky Eyes and Pete the Killer's brother, and I think, wow, that's really what it was. It was a better time. I just I mentioned this. I just finished a book called Made Men and how they took the um, the book Goodfellas. Well, they, how they actually, it was uh, how they made Goodfellas from, from, the, from the book that Nick Pelleggi did and how they transferred it with uh, and the, all these brilliant people that are involved in it and how they got certain people into the film. And it's called Made Men. And there's the other the other books out there, and I have it in my stack. Uh, leave, leave the gun, take take the cannolis, and it's a how they they made um, uh, how, how they made Godfather. But this is one about making the movie Goodfellas, and the role different roles at Pesci and all these different things. And it's true that somebody said who does in in real life. Someone many many people have written it was uh, John Gotti that shot. Tommy D. Simone, um, and in in the in the film, if you look at it close, it's it's um, it's Tutty from the pizzeria. Do we have time to take this guy? No, okay, folks. I'm sorry, folks on the phones, but it was Tutty. If you look real slow when they take uh, take Nikki, it's Nikki D. Santora, Tommy D. Simone. They take him in, and he goes, "Oh no!" And they shoot him. The guy who shot him was Tutty. It was Paul Vario's brother. Woo. And on that happy note, um, birds are next. I'll see you next Saturday at 9 a.m. Thanks, everybody. And on the shoot this week, we're going to do Aaron Harbor. The shoot's up right now with Brother Jeff on the website, 710-KNUS. See ya. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.